things change a lot. When you go from half a million dollars a year to a million dollars a year, and then over a million dollars a year, you definitely have a very different business than a $100,000 a year business. You are almost certainly going to be having team. You're definitely going to have scaling challenges. You have to be really careful about the way that you package and price things. You have to be more effective personally. You need to start eating well, sleeping well. There's so many dials and buttons we can trip. Welcome to Yaro's podcast, where you'll discover the stories behind world-class performers, business builders, and enlightened leaders. Today's episode is brought to you by InboxDone.com, who provide a human being to take over your email inboxes. That's right, someone else can handle your email for you. This company was started after I went to a networking dinner with some other entrepreneurs and I explained to them that I only checked my email once per month. They looked at me quite shocked, so I had to explain that I actually have someone else handling about 95% of my messages. That's why I only need to go into my inbox once a month. That is the origin story of the InboxDone.com company. We've since gone on to launch this business to help other entrepreneurs and successful people like you who spend way too much time on their email when they should be doing other productive tasks for their business or fun things in their life. If this resonates with you, if you're getting too much email, you're spending too much time in your inbox and you know having someone dedicated to handling your email, your customer service and doing proactive things like chasing up clients over email then Inbox Done is for you. Check it out at www.inboxdone.com. Hello, this is Yarrow and welcome to today's episode. This is a joint podcast interview. What I mean by that is my guest, James Schramko, interviews me and I also interview him in a sort of conversation style podcast. But we definitely do focus on a couple of core topics that I think you're going to find really fascinating. So this is actually James's second appearance on this podcast. He showed up on my show all the way back in 2010, where we did the traditional entrepreneur's journey, looking at how he transitioned from being in car sales in Australia to a full-time online business owner. And in this episode, we look at what James did since then and how he exited a couple of companies and also talk a lot about his book and how he focuses on the concepts in his book, which are how to work less and make more. Very much a big topic in this podcast. And James turns the attention back on me as well and talks about how I've done that, how I've outsourced my email and built a company around helping other people outsource email. We also dive a little bit back into my own history and James's history and focus very much on this subject of freeing up more time yet growing your business at the same time. So making more money, bringing on people to help you, setting up smart systems, getting leverage from how you spend your life both in terms of running your business and just using your time and you know everything else you do with your life. So this will be a very powerful podcast, I think, for those of you who stick with it to the end, especially if you're currently running a business that you feel like you have never enough time, yet never enough money either. And hopefully we can switch those two variables around so you have plenty of time and plenty of money as well. If you do want to listen to the interview with James part one from all the way back in 2010, the link is in the show notes. And you also find a link to a James podcast interview with me from 2013. So lots of discussion between James Shramko and Yaro Star coming up. But this episode is certainly the most recent, the 2019 discussion between us. So you can listen in now. Here it is. 
Hello, this is Yarrow. Uh, we're doing a joint podcast today with a long-term Aussie friend of mine. I feel like I've been talking to Aussies for like three podcasts in a row. I think it's because I have. Must be something in the water. And we have a fun topic to talk about today. And uh, since we're doing a joint podcast, it's kind of a joint intro. So I'm going to say hello, James Shramko. Hello, Yarrow. Uh, it's great to be here. For me, this will be podcast number 637 on Superfast Business, and we thought it would be economical to join forces and talk about the topic, uh, two things really, sort of where have we got to in the last 10 or 20 years, because you've been at this for a long time, since 1998. <laughs> in fact, when I came online in 2005, you were already a, a guru hitting your um, strong points there with your affiliate promotions and blogging. And I admired your crazy writing skills and business knowledge. So I was wondering if I'm too late to the party. And that was uh, that was uh, th 14 years ago. So I've known you for a long time. And uh, we bump into each other from time to time. When uh, we travel, you've come to my house in Manly at one point. I right. saw you uh, last year in California. And you're living in Canada now. I am Vancouver presently. And uh, is that a, a permanent thing? I'm calling it my base, but I'm still very much a digital nomad. I probably haven't spoken to you about this, but I have a business in Ukraine and that's where my father's side of the family is from. And I, I bought a little apartment there. So I'll be going back this year for a visit. So yeah, spending some time in Europe, but Canada, I have Canadian and Australian citizenship. So it certainly makes it easy to live in those two countries. You know, I, I think this is a great topic and not one that I hear much about. I live in two countries as well. I've got a place in the Philippines and I've got a place in Australia and I move between the two. And I, I love being able to walk in and you've got your clothes, all your kitchen utensils, your furniture, your TV, everything just, it's like you just arrive and you're there. So you really only need your passport and maybe your phone, mm. laptop to get there. I, I don't even take clothes. Uh, sometimes <laughs> I get weird looks at customs. Yeah, got no luggage. <laughs> but what do you think about living in a couple of places? Do you enjoy that? Uh, you, you just described what used to be a dream of mine. I, I wanted to have a house in all these cities. You know, it was like Auckland and and LA and and Toronto and uh, you know Tokyo, and then Airbnb launched. So I kind of you know, adjusted that dream. I didn't feel like I needed to make enough money to have this huge property portfolio and fill it with my own clothing in every single place. But I certainly do totally agree with what you're saying about having a base and having your stuff. I haven't done what you just said because, you know, usually there's some places I visit in between the, uh, you know, staying in, you know, whatever it is, Canada, Australia, or, or Ukraine at the moment. So I, I would, I still have to have luggage, unfortunately, though I love, I love what you're doing, James. I think uh, that's ultimate minimalism. Although, you know, you do kind of have a two houses full of stuff, so it's not true minimalism, but I love the fact that we can do that. I think that really lends itself to our topic today, because frankly, the only reason we kind of can do any of that is because of having a business that's uh, completely portable and, and I guess you could call it like a minimalist business in some kind of ways too. That'd be right. Yeah, you know, I actually, I would still class myself as fairly minimal, aside from my surfboard um, quiver, which seems to be expanding occasionally. I think it, it's actually reached, a, it's it's stopped now because my little storage area is full to the brim. I can't fit another board in. So I've stopped that. But 
after watching Con Marie on Netflix and seeing how much crap people have in their houses, uh, especially in um, in some of the more established families where they've had multiple generations, mm. I feel like I'm running pretty lean. I don't yeah. have that much yep. <laughs> stuff. And, and uh, you know, the last podcast episode that I did prior to this one was with an expert in meditation. And uh, I'm really getting quite interested in this whole concept of maybe we've got enough. And I think that's why I feel a little bit repelled sometimes when I'm seeing the people espousing the jet mm. slash Bentley slash chandelier mansion mm-hmm. life. I think excess can actually be a, a chain around your neck. It forces you into high adrenaline mode, high productivity. You have to keep feeding the beast. Mm. So I, I'm in a fortunate position and I'm sure you are too, where I bring in more income than what it costs to live. And uh, if you can have properties without debt and you don't have things owning you, then that's a great position to be in. Certainly I've set about summarizing a lot of the lessons that I've learned along the way over the last 14 years into uh, a book. It's a year old, so let's call it a dozen years of online. But I also brought some of my knowledge from before online and I brought that to the table and um, the book's called Work Less, Make More. And one of the important elements of this book and an area that I, I'm always delving into when I'm coaching is personal effectiveness. It's actually chapter one. And when you and I were last speaking, I became aware that you have a new service which helps people escape from their inbox. And I immediately thought, that's the sort of thing my clients need. And it would be great to talk about email as a subject somewhere in here and uh, why it's such a problem and some ways that we might be able to deal with. And of course, probably the ultimate solution is to never have to log into it again. Right. You know, you highlight, I think the first goal I had, you know, for going back to that sort of late nineties when I was 18, 19 and I wanted to get online, my primary goal with a business, you know, wasn't to necessarily grow a huge team have that high adrenaline environment that you're talking about. I did want, and this was before the four hour work week kind of made it a thing, right? It was, I was looking for a business that could fuel my life. I want to work less and make more essentially <laughs> to, to re, <laughs> rename your, your, uh, your book there, James, because I did want to have a company that was, you know, paying my bills, giving me the time freedom, financial freedom, but I saw so many other entrepreneurs get caught up in the more, more, more treadmill. And uh, it's a dangerous place, like you said, with the, the mansions and the Ferraris, because we certainly are incentivized within our society to chase these big financial outcomes. Our TV shows talk about rich people, Kardashians. So it makes it seem like that's the desirable way to live your life. And I really, um, I didn't want that, especially when I saw the burnout that entrepreneurs went through, but at the same time, or maybe at the other end of the spectrum, I was very afraid of the people who had jobs and how they had to live their life. Cause you know, I don't want to, I'm sure a lot of our listeners still have jobs and I understand it's a necessity. Certainly if you're just working towards entrepreneurship, I, I have, I have had part-time jobs and obviously James, I know you, when I first interviewed you on the, my podcast, I don't know how long ago it was now you had only, you know, just become a full-time internet marketer. You were still talking about your selling cars days at the dealership. And, you know, that's a pathway that a lot of people take. But for me, it was like, whoa, full-time job, waking up with an alarm clock, having a boss, having a cap salary, an hourly rate. 
those things were scary, as was entrepreneurial burnout. So it was kind of like, how do you find this sweet spot of having a, a digital business that you can travel with that provides an income, but doesn't suck you into a vortex of high stress, lots of busy work and perpetual need to do something more for the sake of more. So uh, yeah, work less, make more is, is definitely a philosophy I agree with too. You know, when I was going through that phase of transition between a job and not having a job, I got most of it right. And there was a couple of things that I was slightly off on that I've changed my opinion of, but I was being exposed to those hammocks and pina colada type riches ideas. The four hour work week came out at a time when I had a very expensive home mortgage. I had four kids to feed. I had a high pressure job and I was trying to figure out this online stuff. And I, I couldn't really relate to a single dude with all this life tips, you know, in his twenties <laughs> or whatever he was. I'm like <laughs> twenty five would have been then. <laughs> it was it was a pretty strong year, but mate, dude, you're twenty five. What could you possibly know about life uh, and the challenges involved? So I thought my dream business would be no stock, no staff, no physical premises. So I got the no physical premises down. I didn't do stock for a long time. I did actually end up having DVDs and they were quite lucrative and interesting, but I think technology starts to make DVDs less appealing. And of course, these days I have a physical book and I love the book because I don't touch it. It's fully fulfilled by Amazon. I don't even sell it myself. I usually don't even have a copy lying around my own house because <laughs> I give them away whenever they come and uh, certainly don't have a garage full of them. So I like the the idea that you can have a physical product, but not actually physically interact with it. Mm. But the thing that I didn't, that I really flexed the most on was the staff. I actually ended up building up to around about 65 team members at peak several years after this declaration. I mean, the, the four hour work week, the main thing it delivered me was this concept of having a VA. And I tried it, even though I wasn't sure what I was going to do with a VA. I didn't know if I'd keep one VA busy enough. And I applied with that Your Man in India service, but it was in meltdown after the four-hour work week. Right. And then my friend had a team in the Philippines and offered to get a couple of people for me to interview. And that's where it started. That's probably nine years ago now. And then lo and behold, I, I built this thing out. Now, having sold off those service businesses, I sold off the team's as well. They went along with the business and uh, they're all happily employed. That was my main criteria, that they would be accepted by the new employer. They'd all be offered a job and they were, and they're still there. And I kept a little core team of five. And as your service sounds like, where you're helping people look after their email, and you'll definitely have to tell us where we can find out about that. You're having humans involved in the business. And I think having a human powered service is a great business. It can be difficult to set up. It can have its challenges. However, it's a high value service that currently isn't replaced with AI. Mm. Yes. And, you know, it's funny you talk about services because the business we're talking about, uh, it's called Inbox Done. So inboxdone.com. And just to give the listeners a bit of an origin story there, it's an interesting connection. Before you saw me as a blogger, James, you, you may have heard me tell a story about running an online editing company, an essay editing company called Better Edit. 
And that was actually a services business, obviously. And I had a team of, of contractors and my job was forwarding emails between the clients and the editors all day, often with very tight deadlines, as you can imagine with students handing in essays. Often there were not many hours between when they send it to us for editing and when they had to hand it in for their deadline. And that business, what ended up happening, it grew, it was successful. And then I found myself in a situation where I traveled from Brisbane to Sydney back when I was living in Australia. And I was down there for a tournament and I couldn't really attend because I had to keep going back to internet cafes. This is prior to, you know, mobile phones with email access, no Blackberries yet and, uh, or no smartphones. And uh, it was horrible because I had to check in every sort of hour just to make sure I didn't miss a job. And that was frustrating and it wasn't freedom. So I went back to uh, Brisbane and immediately thought I got to hire an email manager to take over this email role. So I found a work at home mom. I was a bit hesitant as you probably have experienced as well that that first time you get someone to take over email, it's like letting someone into your personal life who's looking at you know something that you used to see only as something you could do and you, you can't believe they can do as a good a job as you can or you can trust them, they're gonna steal things. So I went through a training period with her and uh, lo and behold, after about three weeks to a month, I was like, man, you're doing as good a job, if not better than I am. It's all yours. And then I woke up the following Monday and my inbox was empty. And it was quite a profound experience. On one level, I was like, what do I do now? Because this business runs entirely without me. But on the other level, it's like, this, this is fantastic. I built what everyone dreams about, this sort of passive income business. And then fast forward, only 12 years later, I, I have continued to have someone do my email. So I very much continued, or I, I should say I took the lesson from you, James, but you weren't teaching it yet, but of having someone do your email myself with every business since then. So when I got into vlogging and podcasting, I had someone take over my email from day one, uh, customer service for all the coaching products I've sold. Someone was doing email. And then a couple of years ago, I was at an internet marketing dinner with, in Vancouver and someone was talking about how they have to stay up late every night, replying to their email and get up in the morning, deal with their email. And I said, well, I only do my email once a month. And of course, everyone at the table looked at me, how is that even possible? And I said, well, I don't do it. I have someone else handle my email for me. And, you know, they built systems, they've got follow-up processes, uh, their customer service. And I only check in once a month to a little folder with, you know, five to 10 messages that are built up over the month for me that only I can answer. And after that reaction, I was very much cemented in the belief that there might be a business here. And like you said, inboxdone.com was born as a human-powered email management service. We did a little test behind the scenes first in uh, 2017, and then it worked well and rolled it out in 2018 and, and been slowly growing, expanding since then, providing email services for a lot of mostly entrepreneurs, small business owners. And yes, it's surprising how how much of a need there is for such an old technology. People still handle their email. I think it's quite surprising to think about because it is probably the oldest internet technology we have. Let's talk about that. Email's not going anywhere in the very short term, is it? I really don't think so. I often ask, well, I've been asked, is blogging going to die? You know, is, is email going to die? And I can never think like, are words going to die? Is communication going to die? I don't think so. I'm sure, you know, there'll be new tools as we've watched YouTubes and Facebooks and so on explode. But uh, I still have email. It's still a big part of all my businesses today. I used to think maybe it'll be replaced by some kind of direct telepathy, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> yeah, when we get the chip implant and we can tap into the Wi-Fi, yeah. I mean, that could happen in our lifetime, which is continually 
uh, potentially expanding and how long we could live. I think the landscape will be very different in 10 years from now. Like where you've gone in 20 years to now, a lot of the, the biggest changes have happened most recently, right? And mm. it'll continue to extrapolate and speed up in the rate of change. But what I am seeing is in terms of some of the, the core trends, I've put a fair bit of effort into really having high-performance email as a marketer. I keep the cleanest, friendliest, most relevant list that's segmented and makes sense. It's a great way for us to communicate with our buyers. That's where the majority of our sales come from. I think there's a wave of bots and messengers and we're moving in a new direction. However, I'm thinking about companies like my electricity company, my um, property company, et cetera, when they're sending information they and the bank, they don't send you mail anymore. They all want you to tick the box to receive the email. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if they wanted to replace that, what would they replace it with? They're not going to send me instant messenger at this point. I think we're a way off that. Yeah. Well, you probably get sued I actually, for spam. Uh, just as a side note, while we're at it, sure. I'm seeing a bit of a backlash against people posting their content on third-party sites and a sort of reinvigoration of blogging. The guys from uh, Basecamp have pulled back their site from Medium and putting it back on their own domain. And for the longest time, I've been holding steady with uh, continuing to publish on my own site, my core content. And I, I think where the blog is still a good idea, even in 2019. Totally agree. Still blogging here as well. I'm blogging, podcasting. I love both mediums. They power my email list growth. They power my personal brand. Writing still is what ultimately shows up in a lot of search results in Google. So a lot of free traffic to be gotten from that. And obviously with podcasting, as our listeners right now, it's such a great relationship building tool with an audience because they hear your voice. Plus you've got how many downloads happening across smartphones. So I think it's a great one-two combination, bit of written content, audio content. Obviously video is great too, but I find the difficulty of consistently producing a you know a type of video that gets an audience plus simply the fact that I've had success already with two mediums that are much more lower labor and lower cost to produce that I continue to go in that path so I'm not against video uh, I don't know if you've done much of video yourself James but um well I think that's this is a great point I think it's good to work with a medium where you feel comfortable so where you're strong with writing I am not. I can't type. I've done well with voice. I've been podcasting for like 10 years. Yeah. It works well for me. It brings me the majority of my audience. It's a fantastic medium. We got into podcasting early and we've got an established audience. There's a lot of new shows and there's podcasts everywhere. But what I've been doing is supplementing with short videos. Mm. And I'm not uh, an editor. I'm not an artist. I don't make full-on docuseries themed videos. I'd love to do that, have the film crew follow me around and all that, but they would be so bored. I mean, <laughs> James is surfing again. Oh, and he's surfing yeah, again. James is going for a surf. <laughs> James is doing a podcast. James is watching Netflix. James is reading a book. James is hanging out with his family. He's going for a swim with his wife. You know, always down at the mall now. <laughs> like, I think it would get boring after a few days. Yeah. So, But the short videos, they really suit me. I'd love to just talk. I like to get to the point. I can introduce a topic and explain it and then answer it 
all within a minute, sometimes two if I'm going overtime. And I put those across six different places and we do two of those a day. And I have no trouble creating that content because I'm speaking to my clients all the time with my two memberships. I get a lot of opportunities to be aware of what topics are interesting Mm -hmm. to my audience. I could come off the back of a few coaching calls and I could easily create 20 videos just from my notes from those calls that will be relevant for my audience. So that medium's worked well and it's actually supplemented the podcast downloads and it's getting me into those native platforms and giving me a huge opportunity to remarket to those people as an invisible list. So I, I think an email list is a great subscription to have. And I like to have people on iTunes and I like to have people accessible on Facebook and Instagram. And and recently LinkedIn has been the surprise one for me. That's where the most views happen on my videos. Interesting. And I think that is because it's a really boring platform. People who are in the work sort of mode can't imagine anything more exciting than watching a quick one minute video to distract them from their <laughs> humdrum. <laughs> it just stands out there compared to Facebook or Instagram, which are extremely visual and, and right. YouTube, obviously it's a video saturated platform. James, you're, you're bringing up a lot of questions for me here because I, I realize like you mentioned off air, most people haven't actually listened to my interview with you. Probably should have brought this up in the intro, but there was an interview I did with James mentioned earlier that I went through his entrepreneur's journey, which certainly has been the history of my podcast. And But people won't know what you do. And you just described a lot of things. You've got two membership sites. You've got a team repurposing your content. Could you maybe uh, summarize, you know, what is your business? What are you known for? And how does, you know, how do you work less and make more? Like, what does the book actually talk about? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So the book is kind of a summary of of what I've learned that I wanted to write for my kids to say, here you go, kids, because I got, I got four kids at the moment, about to have my fifth. And I wanted to put it in their hands and say, if you can just read this book, this would really help you. So my business now, as it sits, I have a little team of five in the Philippines. I'm uh, pretty much the only core talent in my business in terms of the public facing, but my team are the real talent, of course, behind the scenes doing all the, the good stuff. I've got a super fast business community of the coaching where I help people with their online business. That one's really suited to people who are already making $10,000 a year online with what they want help with. I don't really do startups. I've done plenty of startups and I help startups occasionally. Generally, I steer clear of that and I'm definitely not business opportunity. And when they get up to about 500 grand a year, then they're probably a good candidate for Silver Circle. And Silver Circle is a higher level community And I'm coaching people at at the level where they're already making around about, uh, they start at 500,000 and they go all the way up to DECA millions. But the average student in Silver Circle makes $3 million a year. And a lot of those people in in that, you would would know those people. They're quite famous online. And some of them, I'm just behind the scenes. I don't need to take the spotlight. I want them to shine. I want them to succeed. So they're the two main communities that I have that's a big chunk of my portfolio. Before you go, what do you help the Silver Circle people do? Like, why are they, you know, people are already super successful. How do you come into their lives to help them? Because things change a lot. When you go from half a million dollars a year to a million dollars a year, things are changing. And then over a million dollars a year, you definitely have a very different business than a $100,000 a year business. You almost certainly going to be having team 
you're definitely going to have scaling challenges and you, you're going to have to keep a much better number on eye on the numbers and profitability. You have to be really careful about the way that you package and price things and have a strategy around it because it's starting to get more competitive and the stakes are higher. You have to be more effective personally. You can't be dredging through your inbox for five hours a day. It, it's not an option. You can't be just tooling around on social media or watching cat videos all day. You need to start eating well, sleeping well, get other people helping you out with uh, low value tasks. And you need to be able to sell and convert. So you need to know what techniques are working. There's so many dials and buttons we can trip as a marketer, whether we should have free or paid, one time or recurring, whether we should be doing a service or a product, whether we partner up with someone or go on our own. There's a lot of choices to make and having seen a lot of those choices made with a big data set, I have an advantage. If you think about this, in my core group of Silver Circle, there's 34 people and I'm more or less concurrently running their business with them on a constant basis. And if they're all doing $3 million a year, as a that's a median number, I'm not sure the technical name, but it's not the average, but it's the median, then I'm seeing what works. And like Jay Abraham or many of the great business coaches in the past, you can cross-pollinate good ideas from industry to industry or from business to business. You can basically find the gold much faster if you know exactly where it is and what tools to use. Mm-hmm. All right. So I love everything you're saying. It really, it's especially about bigger numbers, meaning there's, you know, bigger stakes. You can't really uh, screw up because suddenly you've got people to pay. You've got all these resources, you know, that you're, you're paying for yourself. So you, you can't kind of be laissez-faire about it all. But continue, James, you were mentioning. So there's two to those, those two membership sites sounds like your core businesses. And I know if people did listen to the first interview, you probably talked a bit more about the services companies you have with that large team and you're doing, you're kind of like running a virtual assistant agency in some ways back then. I actually, I'd like to hear more about what's going on right now, but I am curious why you sold those companies. Yeah, it's a, it is a good story. So in terms of right now, I also run an annual event, which I know you've been to. Mm-hmm. That's Super Fast Business Live. And I run a mastermind in the Maldives each year, which I absolutely adore. It's like my favorite thing in the world to do is to be on a boat with food cooked for me, four meals a day, surfing and talking about business on a beanbag with a cocktail in my hand. I love that. That That's just like heaven. I do okay with affiliate stuff. Still a lot of my clients and students need tools and recommended resources and I have traffic. And uh, the other division that I have, it's not so public, is I do revenue shares. And that's where I am. I'm an interested party in my partner's business and they pay me a fee for performance. When I help them grow their business and it goes way better, I get a cut. And I've taken on quite a few of those deals over the last uh, year and a half. It's one of my preferred business models. I've just started teaching that now in the Silver Circle. I've got five of my Silver Circle students putting those sort of deals together. And I'm about to roll that out to super fast business. And that is very exciting because it's kind of like you're an affiliate, but for their whole business rather than just the stuff you bring to them as a marketer. And I can help them with things other than just traffic. So that's a good one. And of course, I have the book, which is on Amazon and Audible. And a big tip there, if you have a podcasting audience, 
and you put out a book, make sure you read it as an audible because that outsells the book. And I learned that from one of my clients actually who's got the number one marketing book on Amazon called the One Page Marketing Plan. And to the side of the whole sort of online business, we have a few projects in the background. My team and I work on a few projects that are nothing to do with the online marketing or business coaching type space. And we're just building out super sites, a bit like your client and friend Albors. Mm-hmm. You know what he was doing with his car site? Yep. Sold it, but still, it still works there. Right. I see he's still driving nice cars <laughs> yes. I can see on social media <laughs> and good luck to him. I certainly, he's done well. And I think you had a, a hand in that from memory. So that's what we're doing. We're building out sites in the background that we own. And uh, my team are so talented. And I think three of the five of my team used to run my SEO business. I mean, they got mad skills. The newest person in my team started over five years ago. And uh, we're just cranking out these things and bringing in revenue from a publishing model. So that's pretty much it. Uh, so the service businesses, uh, I had a website development business and an SEO business, and I sold them both for slightly different reasons. The website development business, I uh, was coaching a guy who was a really good programmer and didn't have a team, and I was actually making more profit than he was. And I said, this can't be right. Like I have 10 developers, I don't know how to code, and I've got this business making X profit. I don't, I don't know anything about developing you should probably buy my business because if you had 10 people with your knowledge, then you could make the same money that I'm making and then boost it and grow it and, you know, actually get the best out of it. And I hated the website development business. It was a difficult business. There's so much subjectivity between what a client wants and what the developer can deliver. Developers aren't the best communicators I've found. Sometimes they're a bit noughts and ones and they sometimes lack the ability to understand what's going on or to communicate things in a, in a way that's um, understandable by a customer. So it was a constant source of frustration and it was not by any stretch my most profitable division in terms of pure profit. I mean, if a business isn't making at least a hundred thousand dollars a year profit for me, it's not going to stay as in my portfolio. So like a good investor, I cut that one and I sold that business. Now the SEO business, different reason, uh, that business was doing over a million dollars a year. And one of my students who I met in uh, Dubai, I was speaking at an event. He was sitting in the room and he was within weeks of being deported from Dubai because he'd been sacked from a photographic studio that he was employed at. And you have to leave if you don't have a job. So he bought my course and I coached him and he built his own agency in Dubai. And it was going so well that he ended up buying a good chunk of my supply and I had this scenario that I call a big fish where one customer is buying most of your stuff or you've got most of your incomes coming from one area. And that's quite risky. You get to the point where they're going to have to vertically integrate and go into competition with you. So you lose your best customer and you end up potentially having a threat. So as his coach, I said, hey, listen, I think you should buy my business because you can pay for the business out of the profit you'll save because 50% of what you spend with me is profit. And then you could have a lot more control over the quality of the supply and you could not even serve other people if you want to grow it. And that's exactly what he's done. He's 
grown the business massively and he's not really serving external parties and he's used almost all that supply for his own agency and he's like by far the leading SEO agency in Dubai and uh, it worked out really well for everyone. And for me, I think there was 38 people in that team. I had a lot less on my plate to think about. I mean, that was the most profitable and the easiest to run business division that I had, but it was always on my mind how are we going to go with SEO in the future? Where's social media going? Is it as easy to control the first page rankings as uh, it used to be? And we outsurvived all of our competitors. I mean, all a lot of them just collapsed when those big smackdowns happened. The, the blog networks got tossed. All those tools and automation and janky linking type things disappeared. Uh, there's a lot of ex-SEO industry people. So we maintained our course. We had good quality product and it's still alive and ticking well today. That's really Plus, interesting. it's good to get a payday. Yeah. And I really, felt, I really felt that it was worth, firstly, to get paid a large sum for something that I created from thin air. I mean, that domain that I had was, I think I bought it for $500. So I actually birthed that business in a business masterclass that I ran a, a live workshop called um, business profit business profit formula or something like that and I birthed it as a live case study and then it went into being a seven figure a year business and I got the big payday so it was super satisfying and of course it puts me in the best position possible to guide and coach my own clients through the same process if they want to exit if they want a big payday if they want to sell a business I know all the moves. I've seen it all. I've done the lawyer dances. I've done my research and uh, I feel really confident that I can help them versus, you know, theoretical. I, I can't stand theoretical coaches and there's too many of those, mm. but almost pretty much everything I teach, I've already done or seen. That's a great part too. That little section I just said, James, to our first interview, I think it really closes the loop. I certainly had no idea. Besides, I knew you exited those two companies, but I didn't realize the circumstances of the exits. And it, it certainly makes sense to why Silver Circle is so effective, your your higher end uh, coaching service. Because I've heard, a lot, you know, for example, I was just on a podcast where I interviewed Mike Rhodes, a fellow Australian who runs an agency, and he was a member at one point of Silver Circle. And that seems to be a thing I hear every now and then. Oh yeah, James Champco is kind of like the guy behind the scenes to help me do something to scale to the next level. And uh, you make such a great point. You kind of, you have to kind of walk the walk before you can talk the talk and coach people. So and yeah. guys like Mike are exceptional because what he does well is he seeks out the best expert you can find and he pays them to fast track his results. He actually contacted me and said, I would like to set up a membership. How do I do it? Can I pay you to learn it? And I said, yes, you can. And away we went. I had a similar conversation with Kevin Rogers and we we built Copy Chief from scratch. Like, And it's this amazing copywriters membership. Uh, Mike in particular, I remember his problem was being stuck in the inbox and and he was the agency. Like there was not much separation between the client and him. He was the one talking to them and he was the one doing the work and he's built this incredible machine of a business with a team and tools and he's, you know, he's doing really well. It feels like I've now got the who's who of the online world in the same way that I think Rich Sheffren did a decade ago when I came online. I remember. And Ewan is sort of catching. Was. He was the guy coaching the experts back then. 
it was always in my mind. It was sort of like that's that's a good position to be in, and I really am blessed with the the, the people who actually pay me to help them. I, I get so much joy and reward from the experience. Like I'm on a call every few weeks with someone who the average person out there in the public would be blown away if they could actually have a 10 minute coffee with them. Like it's, it's a privilege to be at that level. Mm. And that's not something you take lightly, but at the same time, I live and die by my client's results. And that's all that matters to me. I want my client to succeed uh, sometimes more than they do. And it's exactly what, what used to be the case when I was a sales manager, when I would hire a salesperson, I took full responsibility for their success. So I guess I de-risked and I detuned my business a little bit a few years ago when I sold those business units. And what happened is it's the same as when you prune the branches of a bush or a, a tree or a flower, the ones that have sort of run their course, when you prune them back pretty hard, all that nutrient and good stuff now goes to the buds that need it. And this and super fast business it's been so stable and, and uh, incredible for the last 10 years, just increased the prices and the value over time. And it's become more and more profitable and uh, less and less work. And Silver Circle has just been stratospherically successful. I mean, it's literally tripled since I sold to service businesses because I've attracted better and better and better clients. So I mean, some dramatic transformations there. And a lot of what I talk about in that book, Work Less, Make More, the same power moves that I'm going through with these people, because even though they seem simple, once you hear them, not everyone's doing all of the things. There's also, I'll point you to a, a resource that you can get. There's no opt-in required, just to point out. But I actually, my friend who helped me write this book, Kelly Exeter, went through the whole book and at the end of each chapter, we put an action step and she actually went through and summarized all the action steps into one document, which is pretty much a checklist. If you wanted to just download that PDF, I think it's on jamesramco.com. When you click on the book, it's on the bottom left of that page and it's the, the workbook. There's no opt-in and you could actually sort of rate yourself how you are in each of the areas. But I will say for anyone listening to this, if you get to chapter one, the personal effectiveness, and you're still tooling around in your inbox, I think Yarrow solved that the best possible way where you never have to log into it except for occasionally. I actually have a question about email for you, James. So when did you first outsource your email? Do you have a, did you ever do email or was there a period when you were in your inbox like that? I still do my email. However, there's a few things that, you know, I've got thoughts on this. Like okay. I remember um, the first hire that I did was someone to actually install a help desk and to run it. And I think it was a thousand dollars a month, which sounds like 10 years later, that's still about the money, right? Mm. That's what we uh, charge mostly now. So. <laughs> no, <like> coincidentally. <laughs> and it was the best thing because at that time I was an affiliate. And in fact, all my online income came from one product. This is about 12 years ago. And what I was offering was a bonus. When people purchased the product through me, I would give them an extra bonus. I gave them this cheat sheet. I remember that was this. Super this is like, how James Tramco got put on the map for internet marketing. That was my whole, that was my <laughs> first hundred grand. It was my first, first thousand clients. And my job every day was to log in to my email and find these bonus claims and then hook them up with the bonus. And it was like five a day, uh, six a day. But I still had a job. This guy I hired to set up the help desk and start answering the tickets. His name was Matt. And he would actually, I would now change the bonus claim from my email to the help desk. And I had this 
domain called Superfast Help. And people would now contact the help desk and make their claim. And Matt, wherever he was, somewhere in America, would log in, give them their bonus. And then I didn't actually have to do it anymore. And so I actually diverted stuff away from my inbox. That's really my biggest tip for someone if they're in the crossover phase. How can you take away from your inbox all the stuff that should not be there in the first place? And the, the easiest solution for most businesses, and this is definitely a, a market, the difference between someone making 10 grand a year or a million dollars a year, you won't find most million dollar a year businesses handling customer service from their email. It's almost certainly going to be through a support desk. It, there's really good ones too. Like we use Help Scout, which is very email like for the customer, which makes it very friendly, but it's not in your email. And that's the point. Like I don't even know how to log into my own help desk. If my team can't answer something, then they will just ask me in Slack that we've got this little channel called Help. And they will actually say, uh, boss, uh, this guy wants to do blah, 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 or whatever. And and I'll say, oh, yes, just say yes or, or no, or I need more information or whatever. And that's how we do it. So I only have to go to Slack these days for most things. And this rule applies to almost all the other stuff. I don't log into WordPress. I don't log into my shopping cart. I don't log into Entreport. Any of the tools that our team uses, my team are logging into and I'm just in Slack. And that's one layer back. That's what I call it. Yes, that's uh, very much how I work. I, I, was, I do still log into WordPress as I publish my own blog post. Well, so you would, and, and I still log into my forum via my own app because that's my job. Right. That's my core skill. So yeah. it's a matter of separating stuff. My core skill was not answering bonus claims. No, for sure. It's funny because uh, so they, they shouldn't be in your inbox. I went through a period where I did switch to some customer service help desk software for a couple of years. I remember having that, but we actually ended up switching back to Gmail, which I no longer, you know, would log into, or there'd be a folder that only I would you know, access and no one else deals with that stuff. But that was primarily because we found the, I guess, the spam and the filtering and the the folder structure within Gmail good enough for the size of the business I was running at the time. I could imagine, of course, at some point you do outgrow a Gmail inbox, although you can go pretty far. We, we actually at one point had three email managers in my team, which I guess you could call three customer service agents. We called them client care people. And uh, that was providing 24-hour replies to anything coming in, whether it's a potential customer or an existing customer, or the everyday emails, you know, filing away newsletters, uh, software updates. And we still do. Like today, I actually still have a Gmail. And almost all of our clients uh, in Box Done do exactly what you're talking about, James, they, except they don't necessarily use help desk software. They have an email account, and they it, most of them refuse to log in. And yes, it'll be Slack, WhatsApp as a method to communicate with them, just to provide like a daily summary, to ask a question like, how do I deal with the situation? Obviously there's a training period to get to that point. You can't just immediately step in and take over someone's inbox without learning how to do so and setting up systems and folders and, and so on. Plus of course, you know, becoming that person on some level, you know, learning how they reply, building a, a database and knowledge base of the kind of regular replies that they send. So. Once you get there, though, it is lovely, isn't it? When you can be just on Slack and that's the only tool you really need. Like, I, I think I spend more time on Slack organizing my team now than any other task to run all three of the, the businesses I'm involved with, except for maybe phone calls and my joy, my job, writing blog posts or doing these podcasts. So 
uh, it's an elegant, and thank God for the internet, huh? How much better is that than before <laughs> we had the internet? <laughs> I couldn't do, I mean, interesting, my great grandfather was doing what I do before the internet a hundred years ago, but it was just a little more complicated, you know, traveling around the world, visiting his gold and silver mines that he would buy and sell and journaling it in his diaries. So he was kind of blogging and and traveling. He didn't have a laptop, but he had a laptop lifestyle, (laughs) which actually, that was the subject of our discussion on Superfast Business, which was episode 193 in May 2013. You found us, did you? Oh, I, I found us. You're there. I think of I think the training period is a good point there. I I would equate your inbox to being like uh, if you're doing a fitness program, you've got to get the metabolism right. I think the the problem people have is they've got more coming in than going out. They've made some poor choices, or in some cases, in the case of spam, they didn't even make a choice. <laughs> somehow their emails keeps getting added and added. Uh, like a, a, a classic newbie trap is to follow every marketer so you can see what they're doing. We call this research, right? Right. That's a terrible idea. It's also, I think, if you've got like four or five emails, like your throwaway one and your real one, I think that's, that's a problem you don't have to have. You should be able to manage everything from one email and use filters to, to sort them because Gmail is so strong. I, I, I'm a huge advocate of that over the other solutions. Are you too, Yarrow? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because uh, the labels in there, it's just super powerful. Google's unbelievably searchable. So you don't actually have to file everything anyway because exactly. it's easy to find. The only things I want to see is something that needs action, like if I have to renew a domain name or my lawyer's asking me something about trademark or whatever, I would want to be able to respond to that. But I don't really care about Fred Blog's latest blog post. I can go to it when I need to. Yeah, so that that's really important. And I think... You know, you said something profoundly important at the beginning of this podcast that I think cannot be emphasized enough. And that is, you said when you first got your email sorted, you were wondering what you're going to do with all that time. Yeah. What to do with my life. (laughs) That's the question. Like, I think some people are, they're so, they're sort of actively enjoying being busy they feel like they've got something to do and they're making progress, but realistically, spending four or five hours in your inbox a day is, is not. And you should get to that point. It's the same as when I quit my job, when I didn't have to go somewhere else for 70 or 80 hours a week, I could have immediately redeploy that time into much higher level activities like my own business and growing assets. And that was such a big change. And, and when you reach a point where you have a time surplus, and you know, anyone who says, oh, I'm too busy, they're kidding themselves, especially anyone with no kids. I'm just going to put that out there. It's, <laughs> it's much easier to exist without kids. Kids will drain your time a bit. So just, you know, any new parents, I'm with you. But you can do a lot in a day. If you're not in your inbox and you didn't go to social media or you didn't turn on Netflix, I reckon you'd be astounded what you can do in oh, a day. I mean, I still manage sure. to surf every day. I can still keep on top of the few emails that I have. There were phases where I've had help with my email from my partner, but my email is not an issue. I've been able to keep it to zero since for the last 10 years. In fact, in 2011, I received 70,000 emails and I suspect average person in, on this listening to this podcast would be getting over 100,000 emails just from the amount of marketing that comes yeah. via email. Is, so it's scary it is to a think big, about. 
it's a big windfall if you can eliminate it. If you could save back a couple of hours a day for a year, I mean, that is a huge redeployment of activities. And that's really the core premise of my entire book. You did ask me what's in it, and I didn't really answer it. But <laughs> I teach people to to score their effective hourly rate as, an, as a guide to being able to choose the best activities to do, to work out what products or services they might work on that are going to pay them better, get rid of things they shouldn't be doing to their team and to set up the right business model so that they can continually get paid with leveraged efforts. And a leveraged effort is one where you do it once, but it pays you multiple times. You know, uh, what's interesting regarding this new company and helping people with email, and I did not see this coming. Maybe you would have because of your work with Silver Circle and, and other high level or even before that is email addiction. And like you said before, that feeling of busyness, like you're achieving something because you're in there replying or even just archiving emails. And uh, we've had some clients where it's like, you know, you hired us to take this job away from you. Stop doing your email. But there's an actual chemical addiction I see it as where there's a hit, you know, you get a hit from uh, replying to messages or, or just even seeing them like uh, the, the, the excitement of a, a, an inbox with new bolded messages and then the feeling of starting to delete them. And I think that's really dangerous. Uh, as you said, that this is about finding that one or two or three hours and email is usually one of the first places. It's, it's talk about a, a leverage point. You can free up some time taking away some very low leverage activities, but you have to break that cycle. And I'm, I've been really surprised how challenging it is, maybe because my own experience was the exact opposite. I was so happy to hand over my email and then I never went back for the next 12, 13 years. Still now, if I, if I have to go in and actually do my email, you know, like you mentioned, having to pay a bonus for an affiliate, or if I had to go in and like update someone's credit card in my system after they send an email, like that sort of work doesn't do, it's just something I shouldn't be doing. And uh, it's amazing how many small business owners, probably some listeners to this podcast are still losing those hours in the morning or those hours at night. And you think about what you could do instead, it, you could just spend time with your family or you could travel or you could build a whole new product or launch a whole new marketing campaign or write a book or just go surfing if that's your thing. Or as you know, James, I used to rollerblade. So, you know, go rollerblading if that's what you're into. So uh, yeah, it's it surprised me. Email addiction is legitimately a problem. Yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about where I think people, they're sort of warm warm to the activity. You've got to want to not do it. When you realize that your email is a to-do list that other people get to add things to, that might reframe it for you. Like It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's work. Usually when you go to your inbox, there's work involved. You'll, you'll have to go and pay tax or you'll have to respond to someone and set up an appointment or you have to go and look up something that someone needs or you have to pay something <laughs> or renew something or make a decision on something. Like I, I'll get an email saying, because I've got an event coming in, I want to get some merchandise. Now, when I get the correspondence from the supply company, I'm going to have to look at things and then make a decision and then send them money. So there's all work involved. So think of your email as a to-do list that other people get to add things to that it most likely that the only sort of emails that you really need to get are the ones that involve you doing something. So it is a bit of a chore list. At I really least like get that. all the noise separated from it and focus on the signal part. Right. And that's a good point there because I think we still have some 
interaction with email. Like I'm a big fan of batch processing and sure you might be the person who has to pay that thing that came into your email, but it's not necessarily the most important task to do yet. We'll kind of default to it because it's like uh, it's the lazy option in some ways to go into your inbox. So, and that's why I love a human being doing this for you because they can kind of triage your messages like that, that list you're talking about, the to-do list. First of all, you no longer default to going and working on it yourself as a default every day. You have someone else do that who then sort of organizes it and, and only puts in the really, really important things into a folder for you or puts it into Slack or send it to WhatsApp, whatever it is, or just gives you a, a you know a text file, a, a Google Doc or something. And then you batch process only that very important list that will give you leverage, you know, the things you might need to actually do, but you'll do it like me, it could be once a month or maybe it's once a week, but it's not like this sort of haphazard wasting time in and out, distraction, refocus, taking away from, you know, the creative genius work that you need to be doing to actually either grow your business or get more enjoyment from your life. Absolutely. It goes from just chronological to, you know, like instead of the order it arrived, it's the order of importance. Right. You know? And there's a couple of filters that are critical in terms of order of importance. Anything to do with a refund or a complaint would absolutely be a priority. Anything that has to be paid or renewed that is going to cause a loss of service would generally yeah. be a priority. Uh, if you want a quick hack to get rid of a whole bunch of junk, just search for the word unsubscribe in your inbox and that should pull up most of your email newsletters and just do a monster purge <laughs> if you if it's not too late for you mm. and there's a few quick wins yarrow it's been great chatting it has james i feel like we could do more quick tips for email after you know other hours so we, we do some other things with newsletters for people who still want to actually see them is just put a summary into one document you can batch process at once you know it's That's little, so little things like that you know yeah, that's a great thing about having a human being in there is you can actually come up with custom systems. You know, you you can use the inbox and the content going in there in just a smarter way. But we're at an hour, James. So we, we've had a quite a ramble here on a few different topics. I'm glad we could hear a bit more about your ongoing story. And I certainly appreciate talking about emails. It's one of my favorite subjects right now with working on inboxdone.com and seeing some happy people who no longer are in their inbox anymore. And uh, of course... In your case, with your book, I know it's not as new as it probably uh, probably feels old for you now, but it's uh, it's well, still it's a, it's a year old, but it's having a sort of resurgence. It's actually over time, it's increasing in sales. So you know, I've never been the big one to launch and razzle dazzle. I'm more of a put it out there and then build on it type guy. I, <laughs> I have a feeling in a few James. years, <laughs> if this was more popular in five years from now, I wouldn't be surprised because I I think over time and as awareness gets takes, and now that Amazon's really starting to give you more options to distribute through actual bookstores. I'm seeing sales increase. So I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very happy with the book. Work less, make more. So I will definitely put this in the show notes links to your book, links to obviously inboxdone.com. I want to put a link to the interview you have first appeared on my show, which by the way, just in case you're curious, it was 2010 in April. So I'll link <laughs> wow. to that and I'll get my podcast guy to also link to the interview I did on your show, which you said, I think was 2013 May. Yep. So you'll yep. have basically three other podcasts. You can listen to me and James talk if you've enjoyed this. <laughs> There's lots more and of we'll us. We'll do exactly the same at Super <laughs> Fast Business, uh, where we'll put this episode at number 637 you'll be able to look up the 
PDF transcription and all those resources as well. Yara, it's so good to catch up, and I think we should do this a little more often than every uh, six to ten years. <laughs> I was like three, well, 2010, 2013, and then now. So yes, big big gap. Awesome, James. Thank you for for doing this. Thank you for coming on my show, and thank you for letting me be on your show. This has been actually the first joint podcast I've done. So it's been oh, fun. really? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm into it. There's some good ones out there. <laughs> Fantastic, and thank you everyone for listening in. Thanks for listening to Yarrow's podcast. For more episodes, visit yarrow.blog and subscribe on iTunes or Google.